really know what goes into uh, skit writing and into all these different things that are going on here at the Buford Church this week. There are so many different volunteers and so many different things that go into making a successful vacation Bible school for the community, for our members, uh, just making sure everybody has a great time and, and learns a lot about Jesus, learns a lot about His Word. We've had a great time thus far. Tonight concludes our Vacation Bible School for 2023. Before we get uh, started with our class tonight, I just want to open up with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much for blessing us with the opportunity to come together as a congregation, as, as part of your body uh, here that meets at Buford Church of Christ. We thank you so much for uh, our eldership, the shepherds that look over our souls at this congregation and, and the value that they see in, in teaching young ones and, and making sure that our Bible school uh, ministry is, is everything it can be. We thank you so much for Craig and for Nick and for all the other people that have poured out themselves into this week. Uh, thank you so much for everyone here in this auditorium tonight uh, that have taken the time out of their lives to come and to learn a portion of your word, whether it be uh, seasoned Christians or young families or, or whatever it might be. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, this opportunity. We pray that we can uh, put away everything that would hinder us from focusing, hinder us from learning a portion of your word tonight. Pray that I can get out of the way of the text of scripture so that you can speak to each one of us and we can leave more challenged and more invigorated in our faith. Forgive us of our sins and help us to be blameless as we open up your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you've been with us all week long, you know that, that we've been in the middle of a series into the wilderness. We each have taken a journey into a different wilderness each and every night. And thus far, our study has taken us into the wilderness of excuses. Our first night, we went into the wilderness of excuses, where we took a look at the excuses that Moses offered at the burning bush. We looked at what Moses uh, continually excused himself of, of, of fulfilling God's will for him to go into Egypt and to let his people go and and the excuse after excuse compounded to the point where, honestly, he just admitted, I don't want to go, Lord, send somebody else, right? And hopefully in that lesson, you took some time to think about yourself and to think about the different excuses that, that you make in your walk with Christ. And then the second night, we talked about the wilderness of complaining. The wilderness of complaining. And, and we took some time to to go and look at how all the Israelites were, were a people that complained time and time and time again on their way to the promised land. But hopefully, instead of just talking bad about the Israelites, you, you took some time to think about yourself, to think about whether you are a grateful person or a thankful person or whether you are privileged whether you are a complainer and discontented. And then last night, we went into the wilderness of depression. And Kyle took us to the lowest point in Elijah's life. The lowest point in Elijah's life in 1 Kings chapter 19, where, where you're going to see Elijah would rather have died than to have continued on as a prophet of God. He would have rather died than to continue on living. And hopefully last night, maybe, maybe more than the other nights, you, you tried to take that lesson seriously. Because as we know, we see more and more people in our families, people in our lives, and people in our congregations that are struggling with depression. And struggling with despair. Maybe last night you, you found yourself struggling in some type of depression. 
Because followers of God, as we talked about, are, are not immune to this problem. As a congregation, we have a responsibility to those who are battling through these types of mental health issues. And so tonight, our journey into the wilderness concludes. Our journey concludes with a wilderness we all have in common. Tonight, our journey continues on into the barren wasteland that each one of us know all too well. Because every one of us have spent some time in this cruel and punishing terrain. In fact, there is not a single person in this auditorium tonight, there's not a single person listening online with us that has not felt the turmoil and trauma of this wilderness that we are endeavoring through tonight. Because tonight, we enter into the wilderness of temptation. The wilderness of temptation. When we think about temptation, temptation is an equal opportunity seducer. Temptation is an equal opportunity employer, so to speak. Because when it comes to temptation, temptation is not a respecter of person. Because temptation doesn't care if you're a man or if you're a woman. Temptation doesn't care if you're white or if you're black. Temptation doesn't care if you're unchurched or churched. Temptation doesn't care if you're rich or poor. Temptation doesn't care if you're Republican or Democrat. Temptation doesn't care if you are old or if you are young. Temptation does not care. But when it comes to our study tonight and the wilderness of temptation that we are going to be journeying through, what you may not realize is temptation is just like every other wilderness that we've gone through this week. What do you mean by that, Ben? What do you mean that, that there's a connection between temptation and, and, and depression and temptation and complaining and temptation and excuses? Well, what I mean is every one of these wildernesses that we've taken a look at this week originate within the individual. Every one of these wildernesses that we have looked at this week originate within us. Because the same way we make excuses, and those excuses come from within us, the same way that we complain, and those complaints come from within us, the same way we get depressed and feel despair in our lives and those emotions come from within us, there is no difference when it comes to the wilderness of temptation. Because when it comes to temptation, temptation originates and comes from within ourselves, not from without you see, many times I'm afraid that we get the wrong idea about temptation. Maybe tonight you still have this idea about temptation. Sometimes we think to ourselves that if the devil would just leave me alone and quit tempting me with all these different cruel temptations, then I'd just be all right. And we want to take the blame off of ourselves and just say, well, that old devil did it to me. Well, the devil made me do this. But tonight, hopefully you're going to leave with a different attitude about temptation. Before we get into our main text tonight, I want to set the record straight about temptation. Temptation has been and always will be rooted and derived from the individual's desire what you may not realize is satan has never 
tempted you. In your entire life, Satan has never tempted you with something that wasn't already in your heart to begin with. Satan has never, he does not, he's not powerful enough to tempt you with something that you are not already struggling with in your heart. Where do you get off saying that, Ben? Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, if you'll turn there, Kevin, I am struggling with this clicker tonight. There we go. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, for from within, listen to that, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things, what does he say? Come from within and defile a man. You look at that text, what do you not see? I didn't see the devil mentioned one time, did you? I didn't see Satan mentioned not one time in that passage that, that for from Satan... Proceed all these evil thoughts and adulteries and murders and covetousness and thefts, whatever. The, the list keeps going on. I, I don't see the devil mentioned one time. That's because Jesus understands that temptation comes from within each and every individual. Temptation doesn't derive and originate from Satan. It derives and originates within each and every one of us. That's why he says, for from within, out of the heart of man. You see, what we have to understand about temptation is, Satan has never introduced something into your life that wasn't somewhere in your heart to begin with. Satan doesn't introduce things into our life as much as he simply draws out of our heart what was already there to begin with. Maybe this text isn't enough for you. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verses 12 through 16. Brother of Jesus says in verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And then listen to this. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. See, James says, don't be deceived about this thing called temptation. Don't play the blame game and, and blame everybody but yourself. Don't blame it on the devil. Don't blame it on God. Don't blame it on your brother. Don't blame it on your sister. Don't blame it on your preacher. Don't blame it on your elder. Temptation comes from you. And it comes from me. And it comes from within our hearts. Notice a few things about this passage Notice another thing, James doesn't say, blessed is the man who is absolved from temptation. What do I mean by absolved? I'm talking about above temptation, right? Blessed is the man who has come so far in their spiritual journey that they're no longer tempted. You see, because I think sometimes we often think about that when it comes to temptation. Well, if I'm tempted by something, that must mean I have some type of flaw within myself. I, I have not 
risen to where I want to get, and that's why I'm being tempted. Notice he, he, he doesn't say, blessed the man who has defeated temptation. Notice James says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. You know, when you think about this word endure, it's not talking about defeating, conquering. It's not talking about outgrowing temptation. It's not talking about defeating. Temptation is something that we endure. Enduring means facing temptation head on. Confronting our temptations. And being unwilling to fall to them. Notice another thing about this text. What does James say? James says clearly and blatantly as possible that when it comes to temptation where does it originate from the heart temptation comes from our own desires right and our own desires are from our innermost heart that's what he says. He says each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. I want you to know something about temptation. This has always been the nature of temptation. This has always been the nature of temptation. It, it has always, since the beginning of time, been something that originates within the heart. Do you really think Eve had never thought about taking that fruit before the devil showed up? Just like any other one of us, when you're told, don't touch that, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about every way I can just get my way over there or get around this bound. I love museums. Anybody go to museums? Once went to Graceland. Who's been to Graceland? All right, who's willing to admit they're a huge Elvis Presley fan? Okay, all right. Me too. Me too. Bob makes fun of me all the time. I'm a millennial. And I got Elvis Presley in my office. He's like, what's going on here? But one time, me and my family, we went to Graceland when I was in second grade. And I wore Elvis's Aloha from Hawaii outfit. The girls were going crazy. It was awesome. I was in second grade. We went into this museum that had a lot of his uh, paraphernalia, had a lot of his uh, uh, memorabilia, I don't know the right word, one of the Ilias. We went into this museum. You can't touch anything. You can't touch anything. You know what I touched, though? You know what I regret I touched? I touched that pink Cadillac. I touched the hubcap. You know what happened the moment I touched that hubcap? Everybody runs to the Cadillac, sees that it's a second grader in an Elvis costume, gives me a wink, and that was the day, right? The classic story in the Hogan household. But that's the thing about temptation, right? It might be a pink Cadillac, right? That you're told, don't touch this. But you find your way over there anyway, don't you? Temptation has been the same since the beginning of time. If you go back to Genesis chapter 6, look at, look at what God says about temptation. What does he say in Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5? When he's about to flood the entire world, what does he say? He says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Let me ask you something. Who put those intentions there? Who put those intentions of the heart there? No one is responsible for putting evil in a heart but the individual person themselves. Somebody says, well, doesn't the devil tempt us too? Doesn't Satan tempt us? Yes, of course he does. Of course the devil tempts us as well, but what I'm trying to say and what God's word clearly says is that he's never going to tempt you with something that it wasn't already there in the first place. He's only going to tempt you with what is already originated in the heart. For instance, here's another illustration for you to think about. I've never had a single sip of alcohol in my life. I've never been interested in drinking alcohol. I've been in plenty of situations where in high school people tried to get me to do that. I never was interested in it. I've never been tempted one time to take one single sip of alcohol. So guess what? You know what Satan's not going to try to tempt me with? He's not, he's not going to try to tempt me with alcohol. Because he knows that's not going to be fruitful for him. That's not going to fly. I'm never going to drink alcohol. And so instead, he's not going to try to draw out that desire in me because it's not a desire in me. You know what he is going to draw out, though? He's going to come after me when it comes to pride. He's going to come after me when it comes to covetousness. He's going to come to me and he's going to draw out all of the things that I actually struggle with already in my heart. And so now that we've taken some time to dispel some of the common misconceptions about temptation, let's dispel one more. You see, many Christians have been led to believe that when you, when you are tempted, you have already sinned. Many Christians believe that they are already to feel guilty about the temptation that they are experiencing. They are already feeling guilty before the sin has ever occurred. But all we got to do is go back to James 1. All we got to do is go back to James 1 and you'll see that sin only occurs, a sin only occurs when temptation has conceived, meaning has become full grown, meaning you have acted on the temptation, then, James says, it gives birth to sin. You see, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to follow through with the temptation. Brethren, if it is a sin to be tempted, then do you think James would have said, blessed is the man who endures temptation? I don't think so. James wouldn't have said, blessed is the man who endures temptation if temptation itself was a sin. He would have said something much stronger. He would have said, blessed is the one who is above temptation. Blessed is the one who is absolved from temptation. But he doesn't say that. Besides this passage in James chapter 1, there's another example that we want to spend the rest of our time together with tonight. There's one example that perhaps you're already thinking of. There's an example in Scripture that really deserves the rest of our time that we have together tonight. There's really only one place for us to go to truly understand the wilderness of temptation. There's one example that is worthy of our attention tonight. Because tonight we are going to join the man who endured temptation greater than anyone else who ever lived. 
Tonight we're going to join Jesus in the wilderness of temptation. We're going to join and walk alongside Jesus to see how he faced temptation. And trust me, he faced temptation. Jesus was tempted. Jesus had every bit of the desire and the temptation and the, and the inner will to do all the things that we want to do. Just like every single one of you here tonight. And hopefully by the end of our time together tonight, you'll all be a little bit better equipped as you face your wilderness of temptation and try to endure. So with that, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, where we're going to see Jesus literally entering a wilderness. Jesus literally entering a wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The temptation of Jesus is recorded in all three synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're very similar in their approach, in the different events that they record. In all three synoptic Gospels, you're going to find the temptation of Jesus. You're going to find it in Matthew chapter 4, which you're turned to right now. You're going to find it in Mark chapter 1. You're going to find it in Luke chapter 4. We're going to be flipping back and forth between each of these as we go into the wilderness with Jesus tonight. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, and verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Notice first, who led Jesus into the wilderness? Spirit, right? The Spirit... Of God led Jesus into the wilderness. Well, that doesn't seem real fair. Why would the Spirit of God lead the Son of God into the throes of temptation? But yet, the Spirit did. The Spirit brought Jesus to the wilderness so that he could bring Jesus through the wilderness, and so that he could bring Jesus away from the wilderness. The Spirit of God led Jesus. Understand this also, that every synoptic gospel says that Jesus was tempted. That the Son of God was actually tempted. Well, what does that insinuate? Anybody still think it's a sin to be tempted? Because if so, you think Jesus sinned and he's not the Messiah. Brothers and sisters, when, when the Bible says Jesus was tempted, it's not, just, it's not just some casual thing that happened to Jesus. It means Jesus wanted somewhere in his heart, to do all of the things that he was tempted by. Have you thought about that? The devil doesn't come to us and tempt us with things that, that aren't going to entice us. He comes to us and, and tempts us with things that would entice us. And here Jesus is in the wilderness tempted by the devil. He came to him at his weakest point, just like he does so many of us. But when we look at that and we think about Jesus being tempted, it's clear that since Jesus was sinless and since Jesus tempted, or Jesus was tempted, it further proves what we've been talking about this, this far. That temptation in and of itself is not a sin. It's only a sin when that temptation is acted on or conceived upon, as we've talked about. Let me ask you something. How many times... Was Jesus tempted by the devil in the wilderness? Somebody say it out loud. 
Three. Three. You know, that's what we're led to believe by the gospel writers. Because they only record three times, right? They record three different occasions where in that 40 days, Jesus was specifically tempted by the devil. Maybe my question was a, a trick question. But I don't believe Jesus was only tempted three times. I don't believe Jesus was only tempted three times in that wilderness. I believe Jesus was tempted every single day by the devil himself in that wilderness. I'm going to show you why. If you turn to Mark chapter 1, Mark's account is the quickest account of all the Gospels. So instead of 12 verses, he's going to dedicate two. You're going to see that as you go through the Gospel of Mark. But in the Gospel of Mark, he does record the temptation of Jesus. He says, immediately the Spirit, there it is again, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan. And was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. You read that verse, and what could you deduce from that? He was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil for 40 days. What does Luke say? Turn over to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible tells us, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Perhaps more explicitly than any other, what does it say? Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward when they had ended he was hungry. Brothers and sisters, what I'm, I'm trying to... You, you tell me what it means. When Luke says that he went into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days by the devil. If it doesn't mean that Jesus was tempted every single day of that 40 days. Brethren, when we look at this, it may be a whole lot more serious than we've ever really realized before. Matthew's account says he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Does that really necessarily mean that it was limited to those three occasions? I don't think so. We just read Mark's account says that he was in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. Doesn't limit it to three occasions. Luke's account, like we just read, says pretty explicit, explicitly that he was being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Kurt? Absolutely. Kurt brings up, if you couldn't hear him or if you're online with us tonight, one of our members brings up a great point. Perhaps Matthew and Luke both record these specific three occasions just because it highlights the three different ways we are tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And perhaps that is true. We, we, we just don't know. But could it be, and I believe yes it is, that Jesus was tempted every single day of that 40 days by the devil himself. And, it, and, and, and with that in mind, think about how much more Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 means. Whoa. What is Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15? For we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points like as we are tempted, yet without sin. You know, a lot of times you might be thinking, he only got tempted three times. How can they say he got tempted as much as I have? Well, maybe because that entire 40 days he was being tempted with every single temptation that we face in our day life. All of that temptation took place right there in that wilderness of temptation that we're journeying with Jesus with tonight. 
I believe Jesus was tempted every single day in that wilderness, yet without sin. How much more does that bring to this text? Because Jesus had to confront his desires. Jesus had to deny his self and become subject to the will of God. But with all that being said, we know that there are at least three examples of temptation recorded in Matthew and Luke's accounts. And it begins in verse 3. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let me ask you something. Just how tempted do you think Jesus was by the simple line, If you are the Son of God. That alone would have tempted me. If, if I am the Son of God, how dare you? I left heaven, I left every, you saw, you know me. You know who I am. If I am the Son of God, I'll show you. Not what he did. Just to compound on that, what does chapter 3 and verse 17 say? It says, a voice from the heavens bellowed down that this is my beloved Son in whom I well please. What's the next verse? Chapter 4, verse 1. If you are the Son of God. Jesus had the opportunity in this temptation to fulfill his most basic desire at the time. He had been fasting. What is the most basic desire you would want? What is the most natural thing you would want in that moment? Well, of course, it would be some food. But instead of, of, of the physical, allowing the physical to take precedence, Jesus allows the spiritual to win. Because he, 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 he quotes a passage from Deuteronomy. It basically tells Satan... The Word of God is what sustains me. Hey, we're going to see that multiple times throughout the Gospel accounts, aren't we? What did he tell the woman at the well? He says, if you drink of this water, you're going to drink again. You're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. What does he tell his apostles in that same chapter, in John chapter 4? He says, I got food to eat that you do not know of when they offered him some food. What was that food? What was that water? The word of God. It's what he tells the devil when he quotes Deuteronomy. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. What's the second temptation? Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Here we see it again, don't we? Here we see the if you are the Son of God language. But just like last time, Jesus doesn't fall for it, does He? Jesus doesn't fall for it yet again. When Jesus had the opportunity to let pride take the will, when he had the chance to truly shut Satan's mouth with this blasphemous talk, when he had the chance to prove he is the Son of God, he denied himself instead. You see, he had nothing to prove to Satan. Maybe you know this, maybe you, maybe you don't. You realize Satan's, he's quoting scripture here. He's quoting scripture, so that's got to be right. To anyone else, 
Someone quoting scripture, that's enough, right? Satan blatantly misuses scripture. One commentator said this, the devil's quotation is a blatant misuse of scripture to try to manipulate Jesus. The commentator says that the original Old Testament context does not imply that God will send protecting care for every harmful situation. But Jesus sees through the devil's scripture twisting to the sinister motivation behind it. I thought that was really well said. Imagine that. Satan is misusing scripture. Satan is taking scripture, the holy word of God, and bending it and perverting it to his own will. You ever see anybody do that before? You ever hear of somebody do that before? Have you ever done that yourself? Try to take a passage out of context just to prove something on Facebook that you think is worthy of fighting over? I've seen you do it. Not going to call your name, but I've seen you do it. Of course we've seen people do this. We see it all the time. But what we have to realize is Satan knows the scriptures, guys. Satan knows the word of God. Jesus here, I just find it beautiful. He is the word. Jesus is the word in the flesh. And so he knows when that word is being mistreated and twisted. And so he doesn't fall for it. He doesn't buy in. He combats the perverted scripture with a proper one. When he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then temptation number three. Verse eight. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms in the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Notice here, there's a little bit different tone in, in Satan's voice, isn't there? What's missing out of this temptation? What does he not say this time? If. He don't, he's, not, he's not messing around anymore. He's not saying, If you are the Son of God, he knows he's dealing with the Son of God now. He knew it before. But he knew his game was over. Both the previous temptations, he says, if you are the Son of God, this temptation, he don't go there. He knows he's talking to the Son of God, and he's going to go for the jugular. He's thinking, if I can get the Son of God to worship me. Ball game. Game over. If I can get the Son of God to worship me, then every bit of this is over with. All of it's over. Now before you start to think this, this uh, temptation is ridiculous, maybe you think this is ridiculous that Satan would offer him this. Let's take a moment to look over at Luke's account. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke has a little bit more information in Luke chapter 4 and verse 5. He says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kings in the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Jesus was shown all the nations of the world. Luke says in a moment. 
in a moment's time, the devil showed him all the nations of the world and offered it to him. And all he had to do was bow down. We'll talk about how ridiculous that is in a, in a moment. We'll put a pin in that and we'll come back to it. What happens at the end of these temptations? What happens at the end of the temptations in Matthew and, and, and Luke? They both say, Matthew chapter 4, 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. In Luke chapter 4 it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. After Jesus had endured every temptation, not just the three, after Jesus had endured the temptation, just like James talks about, blessed is the man who endures temptation. After Jesus endured that temptation, he was blessed. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. James says, for when he has been approved, he will be given the crown of life. Jesus had been tested. He had been tempted for 40 days. Day in and day out. And at the end of it, he walked away unscathed. As James says, he was approved. The English Standard Version for approved there is he stood the test. Jesus stood the test. He was tempted in every manner as we are yet without Sin. What else does James say about temptation? He says, resist the devil. And he will flee from you. He says, therefore submit to God. If you'll just resist that temptation, if you'll resist the tempter, if you'll resist that devil pulling out what was already within your heart, if you'll resist that temptation, the devil will flee from you. Is that not exactly what we see in the text tonight? Brother John? We're going to get right there, brother. We're about ready to bring it home. Brother John asked, how can we resist the devil? Buckle Jesus resisted the devil and he fled. He submitted to God and the devil knew he was not about to win that battle. So he ran away. And tonight you may be thinking, how do I resist the devil? Tonight you may be thinking, that's great of Jesus. Duh, Jesus can resist temptation. Of course, Jesus can face the wilderness of temptation. He's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. How do I face the temptation in my wilderness? How do I endure temptation in my everyday life? Remember again, in case you've forgotten, these things were not easy things for Jesus. The same way your temptations are not easy things for you to deal with. If these things were easy for Jesus to say no to, guess what they would not be called? They would not be called temptation. They are called temptation because they tempted him. Jesus was just as much flesh and blood human as you and me tonight. Brother John, there are three things we can take away from Jesus' example in the wilderness and apply them to our wilderness each and every day. Number one, are you led by the Spirit? Number two, are you equipped with the Word of God? And number three, 
Are you willing to think eternally? Point number one. Jesus, we saw it over and over again, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was literally clothed with the Spirit of God after his baptism when the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And the Spirit not only led him into the wilderness, we said earlier, it led him through the wilderness and from the wilderness. Tonight is the Spirit of God leading your life are you led by that spirit obviously we are not directed by the spirit in the same manner Jesus was obviously we're not endowed with the same measure of the spirit as Jesus was but that spirit that Holy Spirit still has a place in every one of our lives if you're a Christian you don't think so? Well, then you're reading one part of Acts 2.38 and neglecting the other half. Repent and let every one of you be baptized for the mission of your sins. End it. What does he say after that? And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we live a life in the Spirit, we are going to be able to face the temptation. Someone says the Spirit don't do anything anymore. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Without that, you couldn't pray. Romans 8 and verse 26 says the Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Timothy chapter 1. All of those passages say that the Spirit dwells in us. Someone says, I don't have the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 says, the Spirit is the seal of a Christian. So you better have the Spirit. And then find, I mean, just, just smack you in the face kind of verse. This one smacked me in the face a few years ago. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to make it to the wilderness of temptation, if we are going to ever endure this life, the Holy Spirit has to lead our lives. Just like we see it do with Jesus. Secondly, are you equipped with the Word of God? This one has been said ad nauseum, hasn't it? We go to this text and we only talk about how Jesus used the Word of God to combat the attacks of the evil. It's something we need to continue to think about. Jesus used the sword of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 when he was hard-pressed on every side. When he was in the throes of spiritual warfare, what did he turn to? He turned to the Word of God. Is the Word of God something that you lean on, you lean on in times of temptation? Do you allow the Word of God to fight off the inner desires of your heart? When you're in your room alone, and you're tempted to turn on incognito on Google. Do you turn to the Word of God instead? When you're faced with the, the, the most strenuous temptation that has a hold on you, do you turn to the Word of God after you have fallen? or before the sin is conceived. Number three, are you willing to think eternally? Jesus, when he was faced with these temptations, he was willing to think eternally. Remember, I told you to put a pin in it. Remember that? How ridiculous this temptation was? 
I told you to put a pin in it. Here it comes. Let's go back to that thought. The thing about temptation is, in that moment, it seems like you have to have it, doesn't it? It seems like I just got to have this. That temptation seems like something you can't avoid. This is beyond my ability to bear. I got to have this temptation. Seems like something we got to have right now. But what happens every single time you fall? What happens afterwards? After you fall to that temptation, what do you think about that temptation? I can't believe I did that again. When you have the time to zoom out from the situation and your mind isn't clouded with that temptation anymore, you're, you actually are able to see it for what it is. A fleeting, insignificant thing that you wish you hadn't fallen for in the first place. Just for a moment, real quick, look at these temptations. Can you imagine if Jesus had fallen for that first temptation? What would it have given him? If he had a little bit of bread in that wilderness, what would he have gotten? A couple hours? A couple hours on that sustenance? In exchange for what? In exchange for the eternal plan and will of God. That piece of bread looked insignificant. He would have found himself two hours later in need of food again. It would have cost him everything. Temptation number two. Can you imagine if Jesus had thrown himself off that temple? Well, then the devil would have been responsible for controlling and manipulating and, and, and being in control of the Son of God. For what? That temple was going to be destroyed just a few years later. Temptation number three. Can you imagine if Jesus had worshipped the devil just so that he could rule the nations? Guys, why did Jesus come? He came to bring all nations unto himself. So how ridiculous would it have been? That's the thing about temptation. It convinces us to think that right now is what matters, not what comes next. Because Jesus said no to Satan, God gave him all authority under heaven and on earth. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Brethren, when you are tempted, do you think about the consequences or do you simply think about being satisfied right there in that moment? Tonight as we close, you may be in the wilderness of temptation right now. You may go home and face that wilderness of temptation. But just know it's a wilderness every one of us are in. It's a wilderness that your Savior was in at one point. And if you want to endure this wilderness and make it to the other side, you're going to have to know what temptation actually is. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation originates within the individual. Temptation is only revealed by Satan, not created. And in order to endure temptation, you need to be led by the Spirit. You need to be equipped with the Word of God. And lastly, you need to be willing to think eternally. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much for this night to talk about temptation, to look at the greatest example of your Son who endured temptation yet without sin. Thank you so much for Vacation Bible School and the fun times we get to have, but most importantly for the time of study and reflection that we get to have each night. Pray that the rest of the night will go well, that we'll have fun time going down and getting snacks. Thank you so much for... Uh, just wonderful treats that you give us throughout life, Lord. Pray that we can fellowship with one another in a way that pleases you. Lord, help us when we face temptation to know that you have prepared a way of escape for us. That no temptation is too strong.
for us to find you through it. Help us to be led by the Spirit, equipped by your word, and help us to be willing to think eternally. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so I've been told to tell you guys.